Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God. There's victory in Him today. There's victory in Him today. When He went to the cross and said, It's finished, that covered a lot of things. So we do not command that God does things, but that song says we declare what God has already done. And He's finished a lot of things. I need to declare them in my life and have faith to believe what God is doing. God is here to do what you need today. God is here to do things that you didn't even realize you needed. He's here to do that in your life today. He's here to transform you today. My prayer is every time I encounter God, I encounter His presence. I want to leave different. I want to leave different. I cannot encounter God and leave the same way. I must leave different. He's got to do something inside of me. I've got to change somehow because of the encounter I have with God. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We worship you, God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's always the right time for someone to receive what they need. It's always the right time. So I encourage you today, if you haven't taken that opportunity, it's still here today, to receive what you need. You don't have to wait for a specific moment, for a specific instance. But when you feel the presence and the power of God touch your life, the right time to respond is right then. That's why you feel Him, is for a response. So if you need to lift your hands, if you need to clap your hands, if you need to find your way to a place of prayer when you feel the Spirit of God today, that's what you need to do is respond to His presence. The worst thing to do is to ignore the Spirit of God. Scripture tells us He won't strive with man always. There may come a day when you won't feel the presence of God like you do in this moment, so I don't want to waste this opportunity. I don't want to waste a chance I have when I feel His presence. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. We're going to be reading this morning from 1 Samuel. Almost hate to start preaching because you may think you can't you can't respond. I just feel such a a pool of the spirit today. And I know you're probably sick and tired of me saying you can get what you need. I can't quit saying it. Whatever the specifics of your situation. I may not be able to associate exactly, but I do know the answer, and it's Jesus. And He's in this place today. He's the only one that can really fix your situation. He's the only one that can really mend the hurts. You need to find Him today. Hallelujah, Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 6 we're going to start in verse 7 skip a few verses read four of them here 
It says, now therefore, make a new card and take two milch kine on which there hath come no yoke. It's just two cows. And tie the kine to the cart and bring their calves home from them. Verse 9. And see it, if it goeth up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh, then he hath done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us. It was a chance that happened to us. Verse 10, And the men did so and took two milch kine and tied them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. Then verse 12, And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went. And turn not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Bethshemesh. Amen. And I want to preach to you today from this title, Leaving the Barn Behind. Leaving the Barn Behind. Why don't you join with me in prayer one more time as we receive his word. Lord Jesus, we come before you thankful for your spirit in this place. Lord, that you have manifested your presence. Lord, I believe you that your power is in this place. Lord, you will reveal yourself to somebody today. Lord, I pray that as your word goes forth, it would do the work that it's here to do. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way among us today, God. We want to experience your presence, your power, your glory in this place today, God. We want to leave this place transformed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Leaving the barn behind. As I was trying to come up with a title for this message that talks about cows. Several entered my mind, but I didn't know if they would fit the podcast. The best one that I came up with was the next slide, if you want to hit that. Just simply keep moving. Get it? I was a picture of one of my kids. But these verses that we read, they come from the story of the Philistines capturing the Ark of the Covenant from Israel. The, they, they had entered into a battle with the, Philistine, with the Israelites and they had defeated them and captured the Ark and taken it back to Philistia. It was the ultimate symbol that they could take from Israel that they had conquered them. and This brought great distress in Israel. In fact, it brought such great distress that word comes back to the priest who hears that his sons have been killed and the ark has been taken. And when he heard that news, he was old and the scripture says that he fell over and actually died at the shock of what had taken place. It was really the worst thing that could happen in the nation. They could, there could be any number of people lost in battle. There could be any number of things that happened. But in Israel at that time, there was nothing worse that could happen than the ark being captured. It was the symbol of God's very presence in that time. And so it felt to the people like God himself had been captured. His presence, they thought, had now left them. It was gone. It's the worst thing, though, that happened to the Philistines as well. They captured the ark and left in victory with the ark and thought, Mount, this is such a great uh, uh, victory that we've won. This is such a great accomplishment. And they take the ark of the covenant and they, 
they take it to their temple, which their God was Dagon, and they set the Ark of the Covenant in their temple for Dagon. They leave it there. They, they return in the morning, and the, the large statue of Dagon that was there, they come in, and it has, been, it has fallen over. It's broken. So they restore that statue back to where it was, and they come back in the next morning, it's fallen over again, and they decide they can't leave the Ark of the Covenant in the same place as their God because the Ark seems to be having an effect on their God. It keeps falling over. They decide to take the Ark to the city of Gath, and so they take it there, and a disease, which you can read about that disease in Scripture in this passage, and the chapter before, it comes upon the men of that city and, and they cry out and say, look, we got to get the ark out of here. There was issues in the temple, now there's issues in Gath. And so they try to take it to another city, but as the ark approaches that city, the, the people in that city have heard everything that's happened and they won't let it come in their city. They won't let it enter. And so for seven months, the ark has no home. It wanders around the land of Philistia. It goes from, we're not sure exactly where all it went, but for seven months... The ark had no home because nobody wanted any part of the ark. No one wanted any of the destruction that came with it. Finally, after seven months, they get together and, and, and they, they, they have a committee. That's the best thing to do. Maybe that's why it took seven months is they formed a committee to figure out what to do with the ark. And so it took seven months for the committee to decide that we should probably send this back. Even though it was the greatest symbol that we could capture, even though it affected the morale of the Israelites in a way nothing else could, we can't handle this anymore. We need to send it back. And so they come up with a plan. They make a new cart to send it on its way back to Israel. We find this small but interesting, uh, some small but interesting details in this story of sending the ark back. We find that the Philistines, they take two cows who had never been hooked to a yoke, of, uh, a yoke that was used to connect them together. They, they had never uh, uh, had this happen to them before, so they're unused to this. And, and, and they say, take two cows who have never been yoked and put them together. And then take their calves and separate the calves from the mothers. And they said, if the, if the cows keep going, even though they don't know how to use an oak, even though they've never been attached that way before... and if they can continue on the road to Beth Shemesh and if they can continue in the separation from their calves, then we know that this was God that did it. We know that it was God. They knew that, that, they knew that if they put this restraint and the cows could get past the restraint of what was natural to them, their natural inclination to return to the barn where the calves were, then this would be the sign. Of course, we read the story that as they went on, they, they made it onto the right road. If the cows could ignore the unusual circumstances and more importantly could continue to walk away from their calves in the barn, then this was the real test. Despite hearing the cries of their calves, could they continue on in the direction they needed to go? Let me take a pause here and tell you that living for God is the best thing that you can ever do. I know cows aren't a great amen point, but living for God is a good thing. That's something we can agree on, that there is no life like living for the Lord. That it is the greatest decision that you could ever make in your life. And I know there's people in here that know that for a fact because your own life is a testimony to there's no greater thing like living for the Lord. As you look back, you see everything that God has done for you, but for the sake of those 
who have not made that choice this morning, I would like to take a few moments to convince you that living for God is the best thing that you could ever do. Paul reminds us in his writings of the power of the love of God. And he mentions several things. And he mentions all of these natural things that are possible and and, and wrong and, and things that are tough to go through. But he makes this statement. He says, despite all of these things, there's one thing that no situation, no circumstance or person can do. And that is to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. That there is nothing in this earth that can separate you from From the love that God has for you in your life. He tells the Corinthian church about a way of escape that was made for you and I. As we look as a way of escape out of situations, out of circumstances, and we wonder how can I get out of this mess. Paul tells us that there is a way of escape made for you and I. And we know it as salvation. We know it as the gospel. We know it as the death, the burial, and resurrection. We serve a God that when He looks down on every individual in this place, when He looks down on every individual, individual in this in this world he does not see what other people may see or what you see in the mirror no he sees something of himself inside of each person that when he sees you today he sees something of value he sees something of worth in you he sees something worth dying for inside of you you are not worthless in his eyes you are not destitute in his eyes you are not just a big failure and a mess up no he sees something of worth inside of you. We serve a God who is able to look down through all the hurts, all the pains, all the failures, all the faults, all the mistakes, and He sees something inside of you that He does not only identify with, but He sees something in you that draws Him to you. That there is something inside of you that it's not just that God looks down and sees you. No, He is drawn to you in this place today. No, it's not your perfection. No, it's not how good you were. No, it's not how you're dressed today. It's the fact that you are his child and he loves you and he cares for you more than anything else in this world. You see, God is drawn to the lost. He is drawn to the sick. He is drawn to the hurting. He is drawn to the lost sheep. This is a God, Jesus Christ, manifest in the flesh that when he looked out over the crowds and he saw them wandering around, he said, I see them as sheep without a shepherd. And he cared so much that he began to weep, that he was moved with compassion. Let me tell you, yes, there is judgment. Yes, there is justice in God. But let me tell you, when he looks at you, your situation and who you are, he is moved with compassion, his mercy and his grace step in and he sees you as nobody else could see you today. He feels the same way about you that he did those crowds thousands of years ago. That he is moved with compassion when he sees your pain. He is moved with compassion when he sees your hurt. God cares about you today. There's no life like living for the Lord because there's no savior like him. There's no healer like him. There's no one that can bind my wounds like Jesus Christ. Let me tell you that God thinks about you today. He looks at you today in whatever condition that you are in today. He looks at you in a way that no one else ever can or ever will in your life. 
You need to be aware of that fact today because in our searching, in our trying to find acceptance or worth, we look for approval and validation for all kind of so- from all kinds of sources. But let me tell you, you will never find validation like God can give you validation. You will never find worth like God can give you worth. And let me tell you today, He doesn't just look down at you with compassion. No, he looks at you with compassion, but that's not it. You see, because there's people throughout this place today that know what it's like for God to see them, to look down on them with compassion, but that's not where he ends because there's lives that testify that God sees in compassion and then he reaches down, he picks us up, he heals us, he binds our wounds, he sets our feet on a path that we never thought was possible. Oh, come on, he erases my record. Everything that was wrong in my life, because of the cross, he erases it. He forgives me. He does in my life what no man could ever do in my life. He reaches down and does a supernatural work. (laughs) And he puts me where I need to be. And here's the amazing thing about salvation, is that he doesn't just erase my record. Oh, that would be wonderful if that's all he did. That would be enough if if he took me back to zero, if he just wiped the slate clean, which he does. But scripture is very clear in that he doesn't just erase my record. It says then he takes his righteousness and makes it my righteousness. You see, God doesn't just look at you as a blank slate. God looks at you as righteous in his eyes. He looks at you as something that's not just zero, that now you need to be built up. No, he gave you worth. He gave you value. He gave you righteousness. And he doesn't just see a blank slate with no record. No, he sees no record. But he sees goodness and mercy and grace and righteousness. That you have something now. That you possess something because of salvation. Let me tell you, he's a comfort in sorrow. He's a strength in weakness. He's my joy in pain. He's my peace in distress. There's no God like God. There's no life like living for the Lord. He's a fortress in time of trouble. He's a provider in my time of need. He's my shepherd when I need guidance. And he's preparing a place for you and I. He's coming back for us someday. I'm thankful for the God that I serve. I'm thankful for what he has done in my life. In fact, Peter puts it this way, that he has an inheritance for you and I. He has an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Because we don't just have hope in this earth. He doesn't just look down now, but no, he's preparing that place where there's no sorrow, no death, no tears, no pain. Where he is the light, living for God is the best thing that you can ever do. And I challenge you today, if you don't know the Lord, you need to make that choice today. You don't need to come to church, encounter His presence, and wonder if it's for you. No, God is in this place for you. God has allowed you to feel His presence so that He can change your life. So that He can do something in your life. So that He can transform your life today. It's important for me to realize, though, that all of Jesus' words are important. They're all important, not just the ones I like. And we heard a little bit about it this morning. Because Jesus gives me great words that I can hold on to, 
They give me an anchor of hope. They keep me in the storm. They keep me through the trials. He gives me words that I can hold on to. But sometimes Jesus also has words that are a little harder to hear. Not because they're quieter, but because I don't want to hear them. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse seven, chapter 5 through 7. It's got some pretty tough things to hear. When Jesus says, you say it this way, here's your opinion, but here's the truth. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to leave the truth and keep my opinion. Because my opinion's mine and I think it's pretty good. I've never had a bad opinion, right? You have, but I haven't. I wouldn't have the opinion if I didn't think it was good. But sometimes he speaks into my life, and while he does all those things, sometimes there's things that are a little bit tougher to implement in my life. In fact, as the crowds begin to gather around Jesus and more people declare that I'm, I'm one of his, I'm one of his disciples, that he warns them to make sure that they count the cost of following him. He wants them to know that, yes, this is a life that's like no other. Yes, there are blessings untold. Yes, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and those are things that I should hold on to. But make sure that you count the cost. Because when you follow me, there is a cost. He wants them to know that following him will be life-changing in the best possible way. But it may require something from them too. In the New Testament, it's very clear in many passages and in Jesus' own words that, that, that we will not, it's not a may issue or a possible issue, but we will be required to leave some things behind. That for me to follow Jesus Christ, I will have to make changes in my life, sometimes painful ones. John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He lets his disciples know that if you want to be successful in my kingdom, if you want to make it in my kingdom, if you want to be a successful disciple, then you're going to have to be just like a seed and you're going to have to die. You're going to have to be buried. You're going to have to go under the ground for a while. You're going to have to... You're going to have to experience some things that you might not like. We see Jesus' description of what happens to the seed that doesn't die. The seed that isn't willing to make the change. That isn't willing to go under the ground. That isn't willing to go through that process. That it abideth or remaineth alone. Or really forsaken and destitute with no real purpose. You see, because a seed that isn't buried, it serves no purpose. A seed that a seed has one purpose, and that's to reproduce something. And if it's not doing that, it has no purpose. But Jesus says, just like the seed, you can't get by these laws that if you want purpose, if you want meaning, if, if you want to really be a follower of mine, then you might have to do some things that are a little bit painful. In fact, you might have to die. We have this idea that Jesus gives, and Paul continues this throughout his writings, that you and I are called to something. And that first thing that we are called to is a death. Before I can receive of the fruit God has for me, before I can become what God wants me to be, I must fall into the ground and die. 
Of course, this is true of sin. We understand that about sin, that before I can come to God, I realize I've got to die out to my old self. I've got to die out to the old desires, the old nature, that I can't come to God with my sin intact and come to God and say, I'm going to serve you, but I'm going to keep all this. No, we have to come before Him and be willing to die, be willing to change, be willing to do whatever it takes to get the fruit of salvation in our life. And we know what death looks like in that context. It looks like repentance when we come to an altar and say, Lord, I can no longer do it my way. I'm tired of living my life this way, but I'm going to turn towards you. I'm going to turn towards your path. I'm going to try and do everything within my power to maintain my desires towards you. We understand that when we do that, God does something in our life, and that is a death that we must go through to enter the kingdom of God, that I can't live my life for myself. And be in the kingdom. When we come to an altar and we are reminded by that word itself. That even though we call an altar the free throw line here. Whatever the altar may be, whether it's private or public, we must never forget that the altar itself, when we say we must come to the altar, the altar itself, it is a place of sacrifice. It is a place of death. It is a place where something comes alive, but it is, die, it is killed on the altar, that there is something that happens. But we understand that when we come to Him in our sinful state, when we are willing to ask for forgiveness, when we are willing to die out to the old self, that He is is faithful and he is true to forgive we understand that it is not just a death but something happens inside of us that forgiveness comes when I die the seed begins to bring forth fruit when I die to that old man when I'm baptized in his name for the remission of sin and then the fruit continues as I experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ through the baptism of the Holy Ghost but until I die I can't receive the fruit that the scripture proclaims but when I die something happens powerful in my life even though death is not something that I want to think about whether natural or spiritual because it is never easy whether it's natural or spiritual even though I don't want to talk about it even though I don't want to experience it I realize that if I'm willing to die to my desires to my flesh to my sin really what are you dying to You come to Him in pain and hurt, with trouble, circumstances that are beyond your control. And you say, man, I don't know if I can give that up. And it's led you to where you are. And Jesus Christ says, if you are willing to give up your mess, if you are willing to die to your sins, if you're willing to die to your addictions and everything that goes along with all of this stuff, if you're willing to die, then I can do something inside of you wonderful. You see, that's what Jesus Christ promises to you and I, that if we are willing to die, then we can start bringing forth fruit in our lives, that God will begin to do something in our lives. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 36, he says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Now, let me clarify that Paul is writing to them about the resurrection, because there's debate about the resurrection, about what kind of body you'll have when, you're, when you rise again. That's an interesting conversation. 
If we all got a choice, <laughs> is there Weight Watchers in the resurrection? Is there a gym in the resurrection? <laughs> no one would, well, anyway, I wouldn't say no one would recognize you then, if, anyway. It's talking about that, but I believe that spiritually it applies to us today because we know there's a spiritual resurrection that takes place inside of us through salvation. And Scripture says that when I am willing to die, when I am willing to put myself in the ground and let the old sinful nature die, that God is now in control of the outcome. Oh, I don't know what that does to you, but that puts hope inside of me. Because when I was in control of the outcome, look where I ended up. But if I am willing to die, then now God is in control of the outcome. Paul tells us that, that what is sown is not what has to come up. <laughs> oh, I know we reap what we sow. I get that. I know that's a spiritual law too. But let me tell you what. God's the Lord of the harvest and God controls what comes up. You know what that means? That you can go down and die a liar and God brings up a prayer warrior. That means an addict can be killed, die spiritually, but a preacher is risen up. A person that's broken and full of pain can go down, but a missionary, a warrior comes up because God controls the harvest. Paul tells him, he says, I want you to look around. He says it this way, I want you to look around. He says there's thieves and revilers and drunkards and idolaters and adulterers among you. And then he says, there's all those kinds of people. And he makes that statement, and such were some of you. That means that even though I've sown those things in sin, that doesn't mean I have to reap them in the spirit. God gives a body. Let me tell you, you don't have to stay who you are. But God sees you as something else. God sees you as something great. If you're willing to die to him, he will resurrect you anew. Oh, come on. I'm thankful that God didn't just see me who I was, but he saw something more. He saw something inside of me that no one else did, that I didn't see myself. And he did a work in my life. Let me tell you, God has a purpose for every seed that's willing to go into the ground. He has a purpose for every seed that's willing to say, I'm willing to die. He has a plan for everyone willing to be buried in Him. I know we've been talking about repentance and seeds and time's ticking away and we've got to get back to the cows. They're making noise. The Philistines, they did this unusual thing. We read it. We mentioned it already. The ark was to go back. They took these two cows who'd given birth recently because they had calves. Baby cows are calves. Calves are baby cows. And they got them to pull the cart. And then they took their calves. They locked them in the barn. And they said, if the cows can take the right road towards Beth Shemesh in Israel, then they're being led of God. Part of the issue, part of, the, of what they were trying to do, part of what the cows had to do was take the right road and ignore the noise of their calves. It was a combination of taking the right road and their continuation on the road, which signified that God was leading them. It wasn't just that they got on the path. It was that when they got on the path and they heard the noises from behind, they could keep going. 
course, when we think of calves or cows in Scripture, I don't know what you think of, but a few spring to mind. Moses is on the mountain receiving the words from God, and the people think he's been up there so long that he's just dead, so we need to do something. So they get Aaron or Aaron together, and they, they make a symbol, and they say, you need to do something about this. You need to create a symbol for us to worship, because, man, we don't even know what to do now. First of all, that's why you need to walk with God for yourself. They didn't know where Moses was, and so they lost God. I hope you don't lose God if the preacher quits. We find that Jeroboam, he makes some golden calves. I've preached about it for the nation of Israel to worship because the nation was separated. It's now Judah and Israel, and, and he didn't want people going into Jerusalem because that was another nation, and he said, here, I'm going to make these two calves because it's more convenient for you to worship here. It's not as far to go. We find Elisha. He's plowing in the field and Elijah comes by and he throws his mantle on him and says, I want you to come with me. And Elisha, he takes the oxen that he's plowing with. He chops up the plow and he, he starts a fire and then he sacrifices the oxen on the fire. And this, the oxen seem to, or the cattle, the calves, all the bovines, they seem to represent something, our desires, our hopes, what we put our trust in. The Israelites turned their worship towards the golden calf, towards that image instead of towards God. They put their hopes in that. They put their desires in that. They put their trust in that. Elisha, he sacrifices the oxen. It's a symbol of disconnecting from an old life. It's a symbol that I'm no longer going to trust. I'm not going to have anything to go back to. If you would, I'm burning my bridges behind me that it's God or nothing. And he does it by sacrificing the cattle. We see the negative consequences in Israel when they start worshiping and concentrating on their own desires. Desire is good, let me say that. Desire is necessary. It drives us towards where we need to go, what we need to do, who we need to be, that it's my desire to live for the Lord, that sometimes that's all I've got is that desire, but it pushes me to keep doing what God has told me to do, to keep following, to keep trusting, to keep believing. You should have desire in your life, but unchecked desire can very often lead us to places we didn't really know we'd end up. Unchecked desire. You see, Scripture is very clear that when my own desires begin to run unchecked, in fact, that's the start of sin which leads to death, is my own desires start uh, working outside. They start being unchecked. I, I don't rein my desires in because my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and so my desires don't usually stay in the positive. If I let them go unchecked, they start to rain, go into areas that aren't so positive. The only reason we're reading the story about cows in 1 Samuel is, is because Israel found themselves in a spot they never thought they would be in with the ark captured, the very essence of God, symbol of God taken from them. They never thought they'd end up in that place, but there they were because of their desires. There's a law called the law of unintended consequences. It states that actions, the actions of people are, always have effects that are unanticipated or un unintended. That even though you try to think about all the possibilities, even though you try to map it all out, there's always unintended consequences. <laughs> when you ground your kids from all electronics, there's unintended consequences. They're bored. You gotta do something with them. Then you realize how easy parenting is with electronic devices. There's many, this is a, a, um, an economic 
law that you see a lot of times in economics that things happen that there's unintended consequences that this happens and so this happens. You can look at all kinds of examples of unintended consequences. But we find that there's unintended consequences of our desires. You see, the cattle in this story represent our desires. Our desires unchecked. Trying to do what we want to do. Because the unintended consequences of our desires is always that they give birth to other things. There's always a calf. There's always a calf. It doesn't matter how I start out in life. It doesn't matter what I think may happen. It, it doesn't matter how much under control I think I can have this situation or, you know what, I can do this and it's really not going to affect me. There's always unintended consequences. There's always something that's born out of your desires. Positive and negative. And you see, it's those unintended consequences. It's the calves which really tie us down. It's the cows in the barn that really tie us down. You see, because now because there's something that needs me, now because I'm invested in something, now because I've put time and effort into something, now those calves represent that I now have something to lose. I now have something to lose. You see, what may have started out as a natural desire that wasn't wrong in itself, well, I'm going to do this with my life, and I'm going to do this, or I'm going to follow this path, or I'm going to choose this thing. There's always unintended consequences that we don't realize what things are being born along the way until all of a sudden the ark needs to get back to Israel, until all of a sudden the pull from God, the pull from Israel begins to call on my heart, and I realize how much is tied up in what I have done. I lose sight, and all of a sudden I'm confronted by how much is in the barn behind me. Security is tied up in that. My future is tied up in that. There's all kind of things that are tied up in that. And let me tell you, this was the sign that they knew, is that if they could make their way. You see, because in Scripture, we realize that we have to die out when we come to Christ. But Scripture is very clear that there are moments along the way when I'm going to have to crucify my desires again with Christ. That there's moments when I'm going to have to recommit myself to what God wants in my life, to His voice in my life, to what He is calling me to do in my life. There are moments when I'm going to have to take all those things, when the pool of God visits me again, and I'm going to have to confront the barn, and I'm going to have to face the choice, am I willing to leave the barn behind? Let me tell you, there's an interesting thing that happened when the cows left. It says they moved the whole way, all the way home. It says they load, but they moved the whole way home. Let me tell you, the whole journey was difficult. It was difficult. They had to leave something behind that they loved, that they enjoyed, that they had given birth to. It wasn't easy for those cows. They were separated, but God had put them on a divine mission. He had given them a divine purpose. It says that He put them on the straight path. And let me tell you today, God has a straight 
path for your life. He has a purpose. He has a plan. It doesn't matter how high or lofty you think it is or isn't. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a straight way prepared for you. In fact, Scripture says that He will take the crooked places and make them straight for you. That when you don't know how, when you can't see how it's possible, God has a way of coming in when it's His plan and purpose and doing exactly what's needed. He just needs people that are willing to leave the barn behind, that are willing to follow the mission, the path, the plan that God has for them, to die out one more time to those things in our life. Let me remind you from the very start that doing what God wants is seldom the easiest thing, but we were reminded living for God is always the best life. As we close this morning, musicians can come. James chapter 4 and verse 5. James says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're good at that. If I follow the spirit, I'm not going to do bad things. Verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let me tell you, the only pull we feel from God is not from sin to salvation. I'm thankful for that pull. I'm thankful for that pull that God looked down and I know that it was no person, but the scripture says it's only his spirit that can draw us. And I'm thankful that his spirit drew me one day. But I recognize and realize after living for the Lord that there is more than one pull in my life. That there is more than that initial pull that God looks down in moments and I feel that pull again. That initial pull is between sin and truth, righteousness and unrighteousness. That struggle between the old life, the old man, and the new man. And we struggle to leave that barn, that house of sin, those things that we have built up in our past. And we're comfortable saying that there's no greater life than there is no greater life. And let me tell you today that God wants, to, wants you to leave those things in the barn. He wants you to leave all the surroundings of sin and all the things tied with it. It doesn't matter. It may be relationships, circumstances, people, whatever it is. It's worth leaving in the barn if you're following Jesus Christ. But we also face the struggle of leaving that barn behind as God begins to challenge us in other areas of our desires. I don't know about you, but since I got the Holy Ghost, I've had one or two desires in my life. Maybe your desires for food right now. Tough luck. But James and Paul in the verses we read, they both talk about the spirit envying or lusting after us. If you read that, in, because we, those are words that we know are bad words, right? When we read envy and lust, we know those are bad words. Ooh, stay away from those. But it says, the spirit envies. The spirit lusteth after us. So now we've got bad words combined with the spirit of God. What does this mean? It means that the spirit of God inside of us is always pulling us. It means that there's parts of us that God doesn't have complete control in. Desires, 
affections, attitudes, actions, life choices. And the Spirit of God wants those so bad that it will continue to pull you. It makes you uncomfortable when you think about it. In fact, you may feel a word like conviction hit you. It means there's, the Spirit is always working to pull us back to where the ark belongs. You see, the ark belonged in Israel. That's where God wanted it. And the cattle that day, they, they were being pulled by a force greater than themselves. They, they were set on a path and they continued on it despite the noise made or despite the calves they could hear in the background or despite anything else, they were pulled along this path by a divine force. They were on a divine mission without choice. See, that's where we find the difference. It's not that God doesn't have a divine plan for you. It's not that God doesn't have a divine mission for you. It's not that God no longer reaches down and draws on our heart and pulls on us and and we read His Word and things convict us and and, and we find attitudes and decisions and choices. That's not it. The difference is, is that you and I have the choice. Because I don't know if you knew this or not. You're not a cow. Come to the altar now. Lord, I'm not a cow. You have a choice. The cattle had no choice. Their desire was behind them, but something pulled them despite their desires. You and I hear the same thing, but we have the choice to return to the barn. We have that choice. And if we're honest, I wonder how many times we have returned. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that those in chapter 11 who all died in faith, he gives that list, he said if they, if they would have had opportunity to return, and they did. Do you think Abraham never had the opportunity to go back to where he was from? Do you think Noah ever had the choice to quit building an ark? Yes. Yes, they did. In fact, there was probably moments when they contemplated doing those things, returning to the barn. But they continued on in faith. You see, it's a divine path that God has put you on. It's it's a path to where God really wants you to be, just like the two cows were supposed to end up in Israel in Beshemesh, that, that, that God has that divine path for you. And let me tell you, the Spirit will keep pulling you. It will keep reminding you. It will keep convicting you until you're on that path. Let me tell you, if you have not accepted Christ into your life, if you have not had a new birth experience, God is going to convict you. He's going to pull you in the most unusual places, at the most unusual times. It's going to cross your mind that, hey, I'm not where I need to be. I need to do something about my life. God will do that. But it's not just to the sinner. It's in those moments when all of a sudden I begin to think, am I really doing what I need to do or have my desires entice me and entrap me? And I'm not, again, I've left sin behind, but those, my desires are still there. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now I know we read this and we think of all the negative. And we should. Man, I'm thankful for all the sin I left behind and all all that stuff. I'm thankful for that. All the negative that is erased from my life. 
Let me tell you, Paul's not just talking about negative. He had some positive things too. In fact, he tells us, he tells us his qualifications in Philippians earlier. He had education. It, people vary about how many master's degrees or PhDs he had, but he had education. He had power. He had prestige. He was on his way to the top. He had respect. He had money. He had passion. He, he had found his calling. He hadn't worked a day in his life. He loved persecuting people. He found his purpose. And this was all that was in the barn. This was the cattle. These were the calves. That all of a sudden a light from heaven shines down. Changes his life. Transforms his life. And so when Paul is writing... I'm forgetting those things which are behind. Yes, there's all those things that I should be leaving behind. There's sin. There's all of those horrible things. But sometimes I think we forget that there's other things that I need to forget. In fact, Hebrews says, laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Sometimes it's those weights. It's those things which we need to leave in the barn despite the cries, despite the pull of those things that I have to make a decision in my mind like Paul did. That I'm going to forget those things because the things ahead that God has for me are too great for me to go back. I'm pressing towards the mark. I'm pressing towards what God has said. I'm pressing towards where God has called me to be. And I know it's difficult. I know it's tough. I know there's things I've got to give up. I know there's things I have to quit and that I have to change. But I'm pressing towards this mark that God has for me. As we stand in this place today, Man, I'm talking to young people this morning. That it's so easy for us to become distracted by the pool of other things. But I'm talking to young people who have heard the call of God. You've been places and you've knelt in prayer and you've felt the pull of God. And all of a sudden you start hearing the noises behind you. Thinking, should I go back to those? I know those things. I, I'm not really sure what's on the path ahead, but there's still a pool inside of you. There's still something drawing you. I'm challenging young people today to take another step of faith and say, Lord, I'm recommitting to that pool of yours that your spirit, I feel it envying. There's parts of me that I know I haven't given completely to you, whether it's my future or whether it's decisions I've got to make. And Lord, I feel the call of your spirit and God, I'm responding to you today. Come on, there's saints of God that have felt the pull of God in this place. You've, you felt God speak to you. You felt something pull at your heartstrings. You've, you've felt something in a service and think, man, God wants me to do that. Or God has called me to do that. Or it doesn't seem like much, but I feel something stirring inside of me. But then you hear the call of the calves in the barn and you think, man, I don't, I don't know. But God is pulling us. His spirit, man, I don't ever want his spirit to quit pulling me. I don't ever want it to quit drawing on my life. I don't ever want God to leave me alone. I would rather be uncomfortable with the pull of God than to be comfortable and not feel his presence, not feel his pull, not feel him drawing me closer to him, not feeling him calling me higher to greater things. Oh, come on, there's people in this place today. It may be your first time, or I don't know what time it may be, but you need to commit to God. 
Come on, you know there's things in your past. You know that you haven't fully committed to God. And, 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 and you feel all of the past and the weight of hurts and decisions and consequences and everything pulling you back to a life that it may seem easier because it's something you know. And, and, and committing to God is something that you don't really know what's going to happen. But God is pulling you today. Let me tell you, there's no greater decision you can make today than say, Lord, I'm living my life for you. I'm turning everything over to you. Like the seed, I'm dying to you. I'm dying to my desires, to my flesh, and I'm going to believe in the resurrection that you will give me today, God. Oh, come on. Sometimes we need to find a place to die again. Sometimes we need to find that moment. We need to find that altar. Climb on it and say, Lord, I'll offer myself as a living sacrifice again. Let's pray right now, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would draw on our hearts right now, God. Lord, I pray that you would stir something inside of us right now, Lord. God, you see things that you have given people, Lord. You see young people that you have spoken to, that they, you, you've given them great dreams and visions and things that you have spoken into their life, and yet the pull of other things draws us back down the path towards the barn. But Lord, I'm calling for young people who are going to commit one more time. Lord, I'm going to leave the barn behind. Lord, I'm going to follow after you. Lord, I'm going to stay on the path, Lord. I'm going to ignore those pulls from behind, the call from behind, and I'm reaching for you, God. I'm pressing for you, God. I pray that God moves on the heart of someone that doesn't know Him right now. And something inside of you pushes you towards, makes you press towards His calling. His call is for salvation in your life. That all those things you're holding on to, don't compare to the riches that He has in store for you. Don't compare to the life that He has in store for you. Lord, that you would pull on saints of God. Saints that have been in here for years, Lord. That have faithfully served you, God. But Lord, we want to feel your pull. We want to feel your call one more time, Lord. That we know we, that there's something more that you have for us, God. That we're not where we need to be yet. And so, Lord, we recommit to the path to following you, God. To you being able to search my heart, my desires, my will, my purpose, God. Oh, in Jesus' name, this altar is open this morning. If you want to come and talk to the Lord today. Come on, maybe you need to recommit to him. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I, I, I recommit to ignore those voices behind, the, the cry, the pull of those things behind. Come on, maybe you know specifically that God has spoke to you and, and you're being challenged in your spirit to leave some things, but you it's difficult, I know. But if you want to bear fruit, the seed's got to go in the ground. It's got to die, but I'm believing that the fruit that comes forth, that what God produces is going to be so much greater when I'm willing to give it to Him put it in, in, in his hands oh in the name of Jesus come on somebody needs to make a commitment for God today come on you need to die in repentance today you need to come before him and say Lord I can't do it on my own I don't want to do it on my own anymore but Lord I die to the sin of my life Lord I die to all those desires God I turn my life my heart to you